0: Good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you. And so um, I want you to, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever heard of the, the phrase, a DTR, the initials, DTR? And so if you know maybe people who are dating, or remember when Lori and I used to work with high school students, a lot of times uh, you'd see different couples dating, you'd ask them, have you had the DTR yet? And a DTR stood for Define the Relationship are you defining the relationship? And Because sometimes maybe a guy and a gal can be dating for a while, and usually it's the guy isn't really talking a lot about his intentions or where he sees this relationship going. And so the, usually the gal has to say, hey, so what are we? Like, are we just buddies? Are we just hanging out? Or where do you see this thing going? So um, I've been blessed to be married to Lori for Uh, 23 years, and so I was thinking through this DTR thing, there were two times when we were dating where Lori just had to kind of say, okay, now where is this going? Like, and I thought I was communicating, but I wasn't. Like, where, where are we? And so to me, the funniest of the two times was we had been dating for about a year and a half, And uh, this was in January, and we would just come through the holidays and been with each other's families, everything was looking great. And so it was actually on the morning of my birthday, I took her parents out for breakfast and asked their permission to marry Lori and all this and went great. I have great in-laws, all that was perfect. So from that breakfast, I went and I bought her ring, And my plan was to propose to her on a Monday night, just so she wouldn't expect it. Like, just we were going to do a scavenger hunt, our favorite places around Iowa City, during our dating days. So that was the plan. Do it on a Monday night. She'd never see it coming kind of thing. So great plan, right? So then that night, we're hanging out. This is Friday night. And she has her second little eruption, a little bit of, like, the DTR. Like, where is this relationship going? I just need to know. Like, what are we waiting for? And so it was really hard. I had to play stupid, which isn't too hard for me to do. But I had to, like you know, say, so why? you know, I just don't know, but there's a part of me going, like, should I just take her to my to my house and show her the ring in the drawer, you know, should I just blow the whole plan, but no, I said, no, I want the plan to work out, so I kind of had to, you know, well, I think it's going, I really love you, and I think it's going great, but all that, so, but she, we had to wait, you know, and then she she felt horrible, like, after she, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't need to rush things, I just just need to know, and so that's valid, like, if you're in a relationship, you need to know like, how much are you committing? How into this is the other person? And so we're in the Gospel of Mark, and Mark has 18 chapters. And the first eight, it kind of breaks into two sections of eight. And we're going to be at the end of chapter eight. And I feel like Jesus is having a DTR with his disciples. Because if the big question for the first eight chapters of Mark is, Who is Jesus? In fact, a couple different times, there's even that question, who is this man? Like after Jesus calmed a storm on the sea, the disciples asked, who is this man? So it seems like the first eight chapters, the big question is, who is Jesus? And we've seen him like heal the sick. We've seen him raise a dead girl. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen demons identify him. God the Father identify him at his baptism where he said, this is my beloved son. And so... Jesus is being introduced to us as the Son of God. So that's the first eight chapters. The next eight chapters we're going to pick up in the middle of January, take through Easter, is what did Jesus come to do? Like, what is his work? What is his mission? And so we're at the end of chapter 8. I think it's the hinge between the two sections in this great gospel where Jesus is going to ask his disciples, and really we're, we're involved in this conversation too. He's going to ask three questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Why did he come? And then the last question is, are we on board? Are we going to follow him? So it's a great passage, some very big questions for us to even answer today. So before we speak, let's pray. And I'm going to ask you just to pray quietly before I pray and just ask God to teach you and uh, to speak clearly. And if you could pray for me also that I would speak clearly from God's word. Not a big deal, but a little head-cold action going on and need extra prayer today. So just pray for those two things, that you would listen to what God has for you and that I would speak clearly. Why don't you pray quietly where you are? <clears throat> Jesus, thanks for the gospel, of Mark. and the, It's like we have a front-row seat of just watching how you interacted with your disciples and the questions you asked them in Mark 8. You're also asking us today, who, who are you? Who is Jesus? Jesus, why did you come? And are we on board with you? And so h- help us just respond this morning. Speak to us through your word in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So the first question, who is Jesus? You pick it up in Mark chapter 8 verse 27. So Mark 8 27, it says Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I'm in? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ, and he strictly charged them to tell no one. So big question on the table is, who is Jesus? This is happening in Caesarea Philippi. That was one of the farthest regions to the north in Galilee. So about 30 miles north of where Jesus and his disciples did most of their ministry around the Sea of Galilee. What was interesting about Caesarea Philippi, it was um, I've had the privilege of being there. It's the, it's the place where the source of the Jordan River is. So there's a lot of springs, a lot of waterfalls. It's a beautiful area. But over the centuries, a lot of different gods were worshipped in this region. So you'll have Greek gods and Roman gods. And so probably in a context where you could just look around and see different temples and different beliefs, Jesus is just kind of asking his guys, what's the word on the street? Who do people say that I am? And it's interesting, the answers they give would be sort of similar to answers we may get today if we asked the average person on the streets of Iowa City, basically the disciples say, well, everybody kind of says you're a prophet. Maybe you're like John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Like, just basically you're a religious guy. You're a, a person that people look to as an authority. And and so you could do the same thing today. Even if you ran into some people that maybe are from more of a liberal Christian perspective, they would say, well, Jesus is a good man. He was a good teacher. Or if you ran into some people from other religions, for example, a Hindu may say he was a, a wise man, much like Krishna, or a Muslim might say Jesus is a prophet, although he's inferior to Muhammad, he was a prophet. So, you know, he'd be spoken well of in general, but but just I think the answers would fall short from what we believe the Bible teaches, that Jesus is is God, he's fully God, fully man. So, so it's kind of a similar set of answers, but then really Jesus asked that first question uh, to get at the second one. And if we, um, in in the Greek language, that second question is is written with emphasis, where the the emphasis is on you. Okay, everybody else says that. Now you, what do you say? And you can imagine maybe there's a little stunned silence. It was easy to talk about what everybody else says, but now what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And it's Peter, who often was the first one to answer, the first one to speak. You know, He blurts out, you are the Christ. Boom, that was the right answer. That's a good answer, okay? Good answer if it was whatever... Wheel of Fortune, whatever. Good answer, good answer. Whatever, that's what they would all be saying. Wait, that's family feud. So that's what they'd be saying to Peter. Good answer, good answer. So, um, But he nailed it. And so just maybe we don't always understand what Christ meant. You are the Christ. Like, that's not Jesus' last name. It's not like Jesus and Christ was his last name. Like, Christ was his title, that he is the Messiah, and that all the Old Testament followers of God and looked forward to the day that Messiah would come, the one who would come and rule, the one who would come and lead, the one who would come and be God. And so like Peter nailed that, that Jesus is <clears throat> the Christ. And so um, he got it right. And you got to ask, okay, so then how did Peter get that, get that right? And because really these guys have been trying to figure out who Jesus is all the way through. Okay. And Jesus has been very patient with them. In fact, couldn't they have gotten this answer right way early? Like even in chapter one, when they saw him healing, they saw him casting out demons, they saw him. And so, so how, did, how did Peter get this right answer? It's interesting in Mark's gospel, Mar, or I'm sorry, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Like Peter, you, you've been given the privilege of seeing who I am. Like this is a gift to you that Jesus has been a patient teacher that all along the way now his eyes are open to who Jesus is. And so I throw that out to us this morning too, that if we understand, if we have that right answer, that Jesus is the son of God, he's fully God, fully man, just like don't puff ourselves up like, yeah, we got. I figured that one out. It's like, no, you know, Jesus is very patient with you. He leaned into you, taught you, and, and revealed who he is to you. And so the other encouragement is like if you're not there yet, if you don't really understand who Jesus is, um, please, no, just keep leaning in, keep listening, keep learning because he's a faithful teacher. He will show you who he is if you continue to seek him so but what's really interesting is even though Peter got the right answer pretty soon after that, it was pretty clear that Peter didn't really understand why Jesus came, okay, and so what's interesting, we didn't have time to go through it, but right before this passage, Jesus heals a blind man, and it's it's an odd healing because. Uh, He walks in, a blind man comes up to him, I need to see. Jesus takes him aside, takes him out of the village, and spits on his eyes. And it says that, Jesus says, like, can you see? And he says, well, people kind of look like trees moving around. And so then Jesus touches this man's eyes, and then he can see. Like, don't ask me why. Don't ask me to explain why Jesus heals the way he does. Like, there's so many different ways he did heal and could have healed. But I think his point there, I think he was setting us up for, for this is kind of like the disciples. They kind of see who Jesus is, but then more and more fully, they will see who he is. So my, again, my encouragement is whoever in this room or whoever's watching live stream today knows the most about Jesus. You still have far, far to go. Okay, like, and, and yet Jesus will be a patient teacher. He'll keep teaching you about who he is. And now about what he has come to do. So so Peter got the right answer. You are the Christ. And so now you jump into verse 31. And and Jesus begins to talk about why he came. So it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him but turning and seeing his disciples he jesus rebuked peter and said get behind me satan for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man man has there ever been a quicker roller coaster ride than being the guy with the right answer and then like 30 seconds later you're satan like that's a huge like i don't know if you're any peter fans here if you feel like you're peter sometimes like dang how can you how can you do that how can you be that guy but let's Let's cut Peter a little bit of slack because this this teaching that Jesus just rolled out was was new. Like these guys had not heard this part yet about Jesus suffering, okay? And I got to give Peter credit. I mean, he just loved Jesus so much, was so on board with Jesus the Messiah, like it didn't make any sense to him. How could Jesus be Messiah and suffer? Like it didn't make any sense. There's going to be two other times that Jesus is going to try to teach these guys And again, they're just not going to get it, okay? They think they see who Jesus is, but they're still figuring out why he came. And let's cut them a little slack. Let me show you in in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is the main prophecy that a a devout Jew would have looked to to say, what is the Messiah going to be like? Like, what is the Messiah going to come and do? And just listen to this. Um, So this is Daniel, the prophet Daniel speaking. He says, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, that's a name for God, and and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not pass. Be destroyed. Like Peter's on board with that. Like, yes, Jesus has come. He's going to be that. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to come and give us victory over the Romans. At that time the Jewish folks were under the oppression of the Romans. And so Peter's hopes were that Jesus is going to be the Son of Man. He is going to come and he's going to crush our enemies. He is going to and I get to be on his team. And we're on the winning team and this is going to be awesome. This is going to be a great Ride. And never before, for for the disciples, and maybe for most of the Jewish people, never before had the dots been connected between the Son of Man prophecies in the book of Daniel and the prophecies about the suffering servant. Isaiah 43, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 53 all talk about a servant who would come and suffer. And so it's from those predictions that we we get sometimes some of the prophecies that we celebrate around Christmas or around Easter. You know, for, Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 53, 6, where it says, we have all like sheep gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, that the Lord laid on this suffering servant. And so it had never computed with these guys that the Son of Man was also uh, the suffering servant. And so Peter is just reacting out of, just he had never heard those dots connected. And so, you know, we point the finger at Peter and laugh at him. But this is what's going on. And so Jesus made the point, the Son of Man must suffer. He must. So you got to ask, okay, why must he suffer? And so this is getting into the essence of the gospel. Jesus has been proclaiming the gospel of God all the way through Mark. And so this is the essence of the gospel, that the Son of Man came to suffer. Why must he? So for two reasons. One is, is that he must suffer because he must be the one that that satisfies the wrath of a holy and just God. I think the key verse in all of the gospel of Mark is going to come up in two chapters. Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 10, 45 says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and gave his life to set us free from our greatest enemy. And the greatest enemy for Peter wasn't the Roman government. The greatest enemy for today isn't a bad economy or bad circumstances or the other political party or whatever it is. Our greatest enemy is our own sin, our own rebellion against God, against a holy and just God. And so there was no other way, there was no other solution in, in the plan of salvation for our sins to be forgiven other than the Son of Man must suffer. First Peter 3.18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. So Jesus is the king, um, but he didn't come wearing a crown the first time he came. He came going to the cross because he must suffer as our substitute, as the one who paid for our sins. Okay, that's one must. But the other must here is that our God is not just a holy and just God. He's also a merciful God. Like he looks at us in our plight, uh, guilty in our sins, deserving of his wrath. And he has mercy and he has compassion on us. So what what compelled Jesus to lay down his life for us was his love for us. That's, That's the beauty of the gospel message, that we are so sinful and so broken that there is nothing that could fix us short of the perfect Son of Man coming to lay down his life for us, to be our substitute. That's how messed up we are. But the other side of that, that's how loved we are that he, he had to do that. He was so in love with you, so merciful, compassionate on you, that he must do that. He must lay down his life for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. And so, but Peter didn't see that. Again, Peter didn't understand the greatest enemy, again, not the Romans, but his own sin. And so a good question to ask ourselves is, you know, it is so important that we See Jesus' agenda and we align with his agenda. He came uh, to seek and save lost people, he came to be a substitute for our sins. So, so don't make Jesus come and, and fulfill our agenda. Okay, Jesus, I've got my plan for my life, and you're going to come and do these things for me now that you have all this power and all this authority, and you're on my team. Let's go, let's go do this together. It's like, no, Jesus has an agenda. And uh, he came uh, to seek and save lost people. He came to give his life as a ransom for us. So, so the question is then, the, the big question, the third question here, is are we on board with that? Are we on board with his purpose and what he came to do? So you look at verse 34. It says, And Jesus called the crowd to him with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself And take up his cross and follow me. Uh, So it's interesting. These aren't just his disciples now. He's inviting a crowd and he had no problem. We've seen the first eight chapters, no problem bringing a crowd to himself. So he's making this invitation to anybody. If anybody wants to follow me, you've got to deny yourself and you've got to take up your cross. So there are a lot of church strategy people today that would not like what Jesus just did, right? They'd say, Jesus, if you want to draw a big crowd, don't go lay in this, like take up your cross and deny yourself. Like what what are you thinking? But Jesus is being straight up honest with us. Like he is not there's no bait and switch here. There's no like gimmick to get you on board and then it gets then he drops the real goods on you, right? He's just telling you up front, if you're gonna follow me. This is what it's going to look like. So let's just think through all the different reasons Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, these are the things you're going to do. You're going to do the same things that I was sent to do. And just think through all the different things Jesus said that he came to do. Again, we've already seen he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came uh, to give life and life to the full. He came uh, to seek and to save lost people. Just look at all the why did Jesus come statements. He said, if you're going to follow me, this is what we're going to do. And so, but if you're going to be able to do that, there's two things you're going to need to do. If you're going to follow me, you need to deny yourself and you need to take up your cross. So that first statement, deny yourself, man, that statement alone is just a punch in the gut of the American mindset. Like, deny yourself? Are you kidding me? Like, our our motto is indulge yourself. Like, whatever you want to do, just go for it. Like, just do it. Eat that, do that, you know, go there, spend whatever you want, you know, money on this or that. Spend your time doing whatever you want. Like, the greatest sin in our culture today is anybody imposing us doing what we want to do, right? So deny yourself doesn't even doesn't even appear on the grid of the average American, like deny yourself. No, indulge yourself. And Jesus says, no, if you're going to follow me, this this can't be a place where you're driven by self-interest. This this is a place where you're going to be laying down your rights. It's not going to be about you. It's going to be about others. It's not going to be about who's serving you. It's going to be about who are you serving. So he's just telling them up front, if you're going to follow me, first thing that's got to happen is you've got to deny yourself and then he goes beyond that. He says, that's not hard enough. I mean, I, you know, I'd see at least half the crowd or more starting to check out and looking for another, another person to follow, right? So deny yourself. Then he rolls this one on him. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. So, again, the Romans were in charge at this day, and so they were the authorities, and they had different ways of punishing uh, criminals, and uh, they would poison them or... They would feed them to animals. I mean, they thought of all kinds of beheading, all kinds of just cruel things. But the cruelest was was crucifixion. And so Jesus picked up on the image there of taking up your cross. And so what was especially heinous about crucifixion was it wasn't just incredibly, incredibly painful and brutal way to die, but it was the most shameful way to die out of all of those. It was saved for the worst offenders, the the ones who rebelled against the kingdom, or the lowest on the totem pole. Like just, it was reserved for the worst of the worst, because it not only involved pain and death, but it involved just absolute shame along with the suffering. And so to take your cross was a very vivid picture of of whoever's following Jesus has to be willing, not just to lay down your life, not just to deny yourself, but to, to suffer insults and mocking and ridicule. That's that was just a, a just a grueling picture that Jesus laid out. And again, church growth strategists today say, Jesus, what are you thinking? Like that's that's not how you draw people to your movement. But Jesus goes on and he says, Okay, let's 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 do a cost benefit analysis. Let's just let's just lay it out. Here are your options. Uh, you can follow me, but you're gonna have to deny yourself and take up your cross. Or you can do your own thing. And so look at verses 35 to 38. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what is it to profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him the son of man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. And there's, there's an intensity here, right? He's, this is a major DTR. Like, do you know who I am? Do you know why I came? And now, are you on board? Are you coming? He saying, let me break it down for you. There's, there's two options here. One is, you can be all about saving your own life. You can be all about doing what you want to do, satisfying yourself get everything you can from this world. I mean, just go for it. You see, that's that's plan A. You can do that. You can go for the save your life plan. But Jesus warns, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. Uh, the word life there is a pretty significant word. It was uh, the Greek word sike, and it meant like the deepest, the the real you. It's like your identity. It's who you really are. And so in the save your life category, if you're trying to get everything you can from this life, usually that's going to revolve around your performance, like how good are you doing? Did you get the good grades? You got the good jobs. You got the good house. You got the good cars. You got the, you know, like a lot of it's your performance or your achievement. And maybe another side to that could be your relationships. Like who, who are the people then that I've been able to you know, broker my way into their lives and the kind of people I got to be around me, the kind of people I got to look up to me and all of that. And so Jesus is saying, like, are you really going to latch who you really are into these things? Because the problem is you're going to try to save your life. You're going to try to set up a life for yourself, but it's going to go away. You're going to lose it. Like anything we try to grab to and cling to, there's going to be a day where you're not going to be able to achieve anymore. There's going to be a day where you're not going to be able to perform anymore. If it's even just you you mess up or eventually you're going to get old, you're going to get replaced, right? So those kind of things or just, if you're clinging to the relationships in your life, that that there are times where people can come and go, that if your identity is wrapped up on who you're around, like those things can be so fleeting. And Jesus saying, if that's where you're trying to save your life, you're going to lose it. Um, it's interesting, the uh, comedian Louis C.K. you know has this statement. He says, about our day, making a commentary of our day. He says, everything is amazing, but no one is happy. And just if you hear him go on about that, like, for example, if you just stop and think about all the things we have at our disposal, you know, like smartphones, like we got computers in our hands, like we could talk to anybody in the world, and you can find out information about anybody in the world. and I mean, just how amazing that technology is so we just carry it with us but then like how quickly we were dissatisfied with it oh i only have a seven i need an eight i need a ten i need the next like it's so slow stupid phone like stupid siri doesn't like take my commands right like just if we would just chill and calm down just say like you know like 10 years ago 15 years ago if you say to somebody you'd be able to talk into like kind of like a calculator and it would be able to then call you or give you directions to things like you would be stunned and you'd be amazed but like how quickly we just get tired of you know, we have so much, but it so quickly dissatisfies. It doesn't work. And Jesus is just kind of warning us of that. Just uh, don't. Just, yeah, you can try to save your life, but it's just not. It's not going to satisfy. And it's not just today. It even goes all the way back. Came across this quote from a second century Roman emperor named Supremus Severus. And he says, I have been everything and everything is Nothing. And a little urn will contain the remains of one for whom everything was too small. Like even back in that day, whatever his latest technology, he was clinging to, the sundial, ooh, the sundial. I don't know what it was, but like even then he's like, like this did not satisfy. I had all that this this time period could offer me and it did not satisfy. I went into the urn as one for whom everything was too small. Jesus just just warns us of that. So, so that's that's plan A. Are you just are we just you know trying to save our lives because it's not going to last, it's not going to work, that's not going to satisfy. But he goes to the other side. If you lose your life for my sake, and for the gospel, you will find it. Okay, so um, he's not just talking about suffering because we were. We were jerks, like we're being hypocritical or too pushy, like we deserve that suffering, right? and he's not talking about suffering that we all we all get sick, we all you know just not just the circumstances of life, kind of you know hard times. he's talking about uh, suffering for his sake and for the gospel, like opening our mouths about the gospel and being willing to to suffer being rejected by people or. Are viewed as being stupid or uneducated, or you're one of those Bible thumpers, or just that. Just he's talking about that. If you lose your life for my sake and the gospel, and even some places of our world today, it's not happening here, but it could literally cost you your life. He says, if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, you're going to find it. And so, I mean, he, I, I just think there's a there's a real passion behind this. This statement here, because for eight chapters, Jesus has been trying to show us who he is, like calms the storms, like raises the dead, like all these things. I am God. And so like if he really is who he says he is and if he really is really did what he said he came to do. Isn't it the ultimate no-brainer that we'd say yes to this? Like, that we would give up just these short-term, like, costs, and again, a cost-benefit analysis. Like, this is going to cost us some. I might have to give up some of what I want to do, some of my desires. I might suffer a little bit. I might have to give up my time. I might have to give up my money toward other things than what I would normally do. Like, all those things. Like, isn't this, if he really is who he says he is, and if he really did come to do what he said he came to do, like, this is the ultimate no-brainer. This is for all of eternity, that when he comes in the clouds like with with the holy angels and he sets up his kingdom, new heaven and new earth, for all of eternity, wouldn't we, wouldn't it make sense, you lay it out on paper, to be part of that, to be with him, to follow him? I mean... (laughs) absolute no-brainer yes like in light of who he is so i think this is the major dtr do you guys see who i am do you see what i've done i've just given you a new piece of information it's going to be hard for a while i'm going to suffer i'm going to be rejected but i am going to come back and i am going to set up my kingdom and you guys have a chance to be part of it what do you think like what do you think again cost analysis save your life you're going to lose it lose your life for my sake and the gospel and you're going to find it. It's um, it's 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 an amazing exchange. Like, and it's uh, it's one we've got to square up with. It's easy. Again, maybe just in the typical, maybe high school or college, maybe dating relationship, just kind of going through the motions. Like, let's just stop. Like, are we going through the motions with God? Are we going through the motions? Like, just square up. Who is He? What did He come to do? And am I, am I on board? Like, with with His mission. Um, and when we see it clearly, it's the ultimate no-brainer. In like fact, Jesus, one of the shortest parables he told is in Matthew 13, 44, where he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Like he found a treasure that was far greater than everything that he owned and everything he thought was important. Everything he thought would save his life before that moment. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when your eyes are open and you see who Jesus is and what he came to do and what he's inviting you to do, this is the ultimate no-brainer. It's not like, oh, look what I have to give up for Jesus. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, I get to just trade this for that, like for something much, much better. And it's the ultimate no-brainer. So just to wrap up this morning, three big questions, just squaring us in the face. Like, I just love the Gospel of Mark. So real. This is Jesus to his disciples, but this is Jesus to us today. Three big questions. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And my, my encouragement to you is, if you're still learning, you still don't aren't sure, he's a patient teacher. He would love for you to know. Keep leaning in. Keep exploring. If you think you got the right answer, keep leaning in. He's got more to show you and more to teach you. But who is Jesus? He is the sinless almighty son of God who came to this earth. So what did he come to do? He came to give his life as a ransom for you. Uh, this shows his power and it shows his love. Like guess, again, cost analysis, save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're losing it for the one who's the creator of all things, the king of kings, and not just great in his power, but great in his love, that when you were at your weakest point, when you had absolutely nothing to offer him, he still loved you and moved towards you. There is amazing security in that relationship with Jesus, that he loved you at your worst. He gave his life for you at your worst. So do you under- understand why he came? And then are you on board? Are you, are you honestly like living to save your life? Or are you truly losing your life for his sake and the gospel? So you might ask, well, what if, I mean, there's different reasons. Again, if you're not quite ready to just, I look at that ledger, save my life, lose it, I I still need need some time. You're going to see these guys like after mark 8 didn't like all sign up okay jesus and then they were perfect like there was there's nine more chapters eight more chapters of struggle right and then even even beyond that there's still going to be some struggle so when jesus offers that invitation to us this morning he's not expecting perfection he's not like oh you get one strike then you're out you're off this this team like just take that first step like just see whatever save your life lose it lose your life find it whatever that first step toward lose your life just just take that step and realize knows you're not gonna be perfect, okay? I don't know if you're into like, I'm into like countdowns, like ESPN just did their top 20 non top 10 plays of the week. So these are like major bloopers over the years. And the number one sports like not top play was known as the butt fumble have you heard about this like poor poor Mark Sanchez, like he probably a great guy, like worked his you know tail off to become an NFL quarterback, has had some good games, but he 's going to go down in history for the butt fumble so basically if you 've never seen the play, he takes the snap, he turns around, and the running back's not where he should be and here 's the quarterback with the ball, not knowing what to do, so he just turns and starts running and he runs forward as fast as he can, and he 's got a blocker there, his center. That Mark Sanchez head runs straight into the center's butt, and it knocks him off his feet. The ball flies through the air, lands on the ground, and unfortunately, Ned, uh, a New England Patriot, picked it up and ran it in for a touchdown. So, like, that's the classic, like, fail, right? The butt fumble. How would you like to be that guy who did the butt fumble? So, maybe there's a part of you that's like, I don't want to make this big, like, Jesus. I'm all with you and all that. As you read through the pages of of the scripture. The guy who did that, in a spiritual sense, was Peter, the guy that that Mark wrote this gospel, but he downloaded the material from Peter. Peter told Mark what to write. And so it's Peter who did the epic fail with Jesus. Peter gave the right answer, you're the Christ. And then he's Satan, right? And then Jesus gives this invitation, are you on board? Follow me. You know, Oh, yeah, I'll do that, Peter. In fact, right before Jesus was arrested and crucified. Jesus warned them, you guys are going gonna to turn away from me. You're going you're to fail. And Peter's like, never, I never will. And remember the story, well, before a rooster crows three times Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And sure enough, he did. He dropped, He dropped the ball. But then again, if you know Peter's story at the end, when Jesus rose again from the dead, Jesus spent time with Peter and three times asked him, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Like again, Jesus just patiently restoring Peter and getting him back in the game. And at the end of Peter's life, First Peter 5, 10 and 11, Peter encourages us. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You can save your life, but you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, just look at the one that you're losing your life for. He's the King of Kings, he's the Son of God. He's going to set up and run the kingdom for eternity, future, new heaven and new earth. And he's incredibly gracious, and he'll restore you. He'll walk with you. And when you fall, even in your big commitment, oh, follow you, he'll be right there with you to restore, confirm, and strengthen you. It's a no-brainer. All right, let me pray. Jesus, thank you again for this front row seat to seeing you just ask some very pointed questions to your followers, and they're questions we need to answer too. And I thank you that if we're struggling with any of the answers there, you're a very patient teacher. You will show us, help us lean in, help us take these questions seriously, and help us choose choose uh, to lose our lives so that we can find, the life that you've given us. Thank you, Jesus. In your great name we pray. Amen.